So the story this morning is Jesus forgives and heals a paralyzed man. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. Are we all familiar with the phrase, it's the thought that counts? Christmas time, birthdays, anniversaries, or maybe something a little special just because. You can say, it's the thought that counts when you are delightfully surprised by the thoughtfulness of someone's gift. You could also say the same thing when what you're really thinking is, what were they thinking? (laughs) They tried and it's not great. They swung and they missed, but it's the thought that counts. I've been given some gifts that I had never considered for myself, but someone knew that I would love them. Someone knew what I needed. And maybe you've got something like that, something that you've cherished long after you have received it. It was the perfect gift, a gift that showed that the giver was really paying attention to you. They know you, and they put significant thought into who you are, and they saw what it was that you really needed. Think about that with this paralyzed man in mind. He and his friends encountered Jesus himself. And in this case, the gift that the man desired and the gift that his friends wanted for him was quite obvious. It was the gift of being able to stand up and to walk. Physical healing had long been at the top of his wish list. And Jesus had been healing people from all sorts of things, and others were starting to take notice. Word was getting around. So this paralyzed man's friends find their way to Jesus. They are determined to get their friend in front of this great healer. Surely he can do for their friend what he has been doing for so many others. And what a gift that will be. And as they approach Jesus, he sees them. And we read that he sees their faith. Jesus sees them carrying this man towards them, and perhaps he smiles at them. He can see that they believe. They believe that Jesus can help their friend. And what does Jesus do? What does he say? He forgives the man's sins. But that's not what they came for. That's not why they carried him all this way. That was not the right gift. And I mentioned Jesus had been on a bit of a healing spree. If you turn back to Matthew chapter 8, you see, first of all, him healing a man with leprosy. Jesus demonstrates that through his touch, he can bring physical healing. He touches the man and he says, be clean. 
And Jesus cleanses his body in that very moment. And later on in the chapter, he will heal Peter's mother-in-law. She's suffering from a high fever. And again, just with his touch. The results in both cases are the same. He brings immediate healing to those who are suffering. And in the next segment of chapter 8, Jesus heals a centurion soldier's servant. And there's no healing touch. He doesn't even go to the man's house because the centurion feels unworthy to even be in his presence. And he suggests to Jesus, just say that he will be healed, and I know that it will be done. So through his words, Jesus heals this man's servant. He says, go, it will be done, just as you believed it would. He showed faith like the paralytic man and his friends. And that very hour, it says, healing came to this man's servant. In this, Jesus shows his power over the physical, having only to speak to provide healing. And in the next section, he demonstrates his power over nature. Jesus is sleeping on a boat, and his disciples are freaking out. There's a furious storm, and the waves are crashing into them. Lord, save us, they yell. We are going to drown. And he rebukes his disciples first for their lack of faith, and then he rebukes the winds and the waves, and immediately all is calm. All but maybe the heart rates of those disciples. What is this power that they have just witnessed? He's got control over the weather. And then from the natural to the supernatural as he drives demons out of two possessed men. Victory in spiritual warfare between good and what is evil. So Jesus is moving from place to place and he's healing the physical, the natural, and the supernatural. And he brings healing to a variety of problems. And that is what this man's friends want for him too. Touch him and heal him. Or just say the words and restore him. Calm the storms in his life. Or free him from these personal demons. They want Jesus to release this man from his paralyzed state. And I imagine all these men and the others from town to town as Jesus is healing are living in a level of desperation, desiring wholeness that has now become just a hopeless wish. And then they hear of one who's working miracles, and they bring their unsolvable problems to this man who's restoring those who are suffering. It might be their last chance, their one opportunity to see the impossible done in their lives. So where are we facing the impossible? Where are we in desperate need of healing? Close to home, we can look at our church announcements and we can listen to our weekly prayers and we can know that there are people that we love dearly who could use a miraculous healing touch. People who have been in our prayers for months or even years. People we would gladly lift together and carry to Jesus if we heard that the great healer had come to town. We'd do anything for that encounter, believing that he is able. And there are significant hurts outside of our church family in our immediate community. I spoke with the director of our community support center last week, and she told me the threat of homelessness is still very real in our school district. 
Many are waiting to buy homes because of high interest rates. And rents are being raised because of the demand and the economics of the housing business. Property owners are seeking bigger profits. So some are getting priced out of the places that they are living in and they're pushed out with nowhere to go. And even those with sufficient housing are feeling the financial squeeze. If they miss one paycheck, then what? Can Jesus bring peace to their financial situation? Can he multiply their resources like the loaves and the fishes? And if you look at the news from around the globe, you'll find headline issues and ongoing problems. It's a list that perhaps never really seems to change. We read about the same problems in new locations, troubled areas of the world that seem forever troubled. There's political strife, there's war and fleeing refugees, global health issues, extreme poverty, and severe hunger. And these are big issues that don't go away quickly. And it's hard to keep up. Some of these things cycle in and out of the news and therefore in and out of our consciousness. We think about them for a while, and then we don't. Because from afar, they can be generic issues for some. But the healing that is needed is amplified when that hits closer to home, when you can feel the effects of it each day. Could Jesus just say the words and make all of that go away? So if you found yourself in front of Jesus today, what would you ask him for? What weighs most heavily on your heart? And how might you feel if he looked at your pain and he saw you standing there in need and he said, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. It's not that the problems in our world or those hurts that hit closer to home or this paralyzed man's struggles are not significant, but Jesus is prioritizing something different in his response. Jesus looks at the man, and he sees his pain, and he sees his faith, and he will ultimately heal the man of his physical hurts. But the true restoration in this man's life begins in that first response, when Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And in the present moment, the physical always seems like the most urgent thing. And Jesus speaks to something more eternally significant by first forgiving this man of sin. He later asks the question, which is easier, saying your sins are forgiven or telling the man to stand up and walk? And really, both of those things are impossible for a mere man. And it's the forgiveness of sins that ruffles the feathers of those Pharisees. That's blasphemy. Only God is able to forgive sins. And they're right about that. What they are not recognizing is the authority that Jesus has and who he really is. They know the truth that only God can forgive sins. And if Jesus is saying, I can do that, they must understand what it is that he is claiming, or they would not be so upset. But their faith is not in him. They do not believe. They don't see the Messiah standing before them. That conflict between who he is claiming to be and the rejection of it will continue, and ultimately it will have Jesus on the cross. Does he have the authority to forgive sin? Is he God? 
They are about to get very visible evidence of his power over this man's paralysis. He says, get up, take your mat, and go home, and he does all three of those things. He is healed physically, and they can see the evidence of that. And because we know and we understand who Jesus is, we recognize his declaration of forgiveness from sin has happened in that moment as well. Just as spiritually healed as he has been physically. And this happens in an age where even Jesus' disciples would ask questions like, who sinned, this man or his parents, when they were speaking of a blind man? Because there's an assumed connection between problems and sin in people's lives. And we know sin lives in the root of our humanity, and it contributes to the fallen state of our personal lives and in our world. And because of that, healing needs to begin in us at a spiritual level. And that's why Jesus addresses it first in this story. The people looking on have seen this paralyzed man get up and walk away. And that in itself is unimaginable. Jesus has established power to heal what they can see. Do they and the man and his friends understand that he's received even more than they had hoped for on that day? A greater gift than just the healing of his body. Freedom from sin and freedom from that physical burden in that order. The fundamental problem needs healing first, and that is the state of our souls. So what would you ask Jesus for today? Peace in these global issues and these conflicts? Maybe freedom from pain and sickness in the lives of those that you love? Maybe there's personal healing that you need from the things that we know and deeper things that perhaps you've not dared to share with someone else. And like the friends carrying this man in prayer, we bring to Jesus our pain, believing in faith that he can do the impossible. Some of these things he heals and others he does not. And that can be hard to accept and something that we would hope against in the midst of our greatest trials. But if Jesus can do what he did for this paralyzed man, all of those things are possible. And we can and should speak of the authority of God to make all things new, to restore broken bodies and a broken world. But as we spread that message, don't forget the eternal significance of what he came to do and have faith in those promises, the forgiveness of sins spiritual restoration, a deeper and more essential healing. And God calls each of us to stand up and walk away from our sin, to take release from the paralyzing nature of our sin and to be renewed. Delivery through the one who has the full authority over sin and the effects of sin in this world. Trust that he can do that and that he will for all who would call upon him as Lord and recognize their need for salvation. God sent Jesus to us with the full authority to heal this world from his sins. And Matthew, the author, understood that need for transformation, a new life that only Christ can bring. Freedom from sin and self is necessary in true healing and a changed life. Because Matthew was also one who was rescued by Jesus, 
and was a character in his own gospel story. He writes of this event, Jesus forgiving this man, healing him, and demonstrating his authority over the spiritual. And Matthew also healed and a recipient of that gift of grace. We looked back at chapter 8 and the string of healing and the divine authority that Jesus demonstrated. We see this paralytic man healed from sin and restored physically. And then in the next five verses, Matthew shares a brief look at his own rescue. Jesus says, follow me. And suddenly Matthew, a despised tax collector, is hosting a dinner with many of his co-workers and other sinners. People whose professions and practices were looked at with disdain by the people. Especially guys like the Pharisees, those teachers of the laws, who rebuked Jesus and challenged his authority. They didn't like who Jesus claimed to be, and they also didn't like the people that he chose to hang out with. They asked, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? In the New Living Translation, they are referred to as scum. And Jesus replies, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we are all sinners in need of the great physician. Whether we are physically well or not, we need the kind of restoration that only Jesus offers. We are called to step to him in faith for a deeper kind of healing. To approach him desperate for wholeness that can be found nowhere else and hear him declare to us, take heart, your sins are forgiven. So go to him. Bring him your pain, even those self-inflicted wounds, and set them at his feet. He's waiting for you with greater gifts than anything that you would even think to ask for. Pray with me. Lord, may we openly and with great trust bring all of our troubles to you. Believing you to be the great physician, the healer of so many hurts, our personal struggles, the burdens of those around us, and the sorrows of this world. May we trust your prescription for our lives. Through the joys and struggles, grow our faith. Work in us and fill us with your spirit. May we cherish that gracious gift and our relationship with you above all things. That we may rest in your love and share the good news that Jesus saves and Jesus heals at the deepest level. Amen.